The Bob Murphy Show, episode 92. Get ready for another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. It's your source for commentary and interviews conducted by a Christian and economist. Now here's your host, Bob Murphy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of The Bob Murphy Show. Before I dive into this one, let me give two announcements. The first pertains to the podcast itself. You guys might experience a week or so delay on your end in terms of seeing new episodes drop after this one. And the reason's just we're switching to a new format where I'm trying to get better audio quality for the, you know, the YouTube videos that I do when I'm interviewing somebody. And that just takes a little bit extra time on our side to get the thing ready. And just we're, we're sort of playing catch up here. So, you know, I'm just going to take a week, let us get caught back up on our end. So then the episodes will continue to flow again with this pattern of me doing a solo episode and then an interview each week. That's what we're shooting for. But I think if I take a week off, I'll, I'll let my people get all caught up on their ends, respectively. The other caveat I want to mention is in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the Inspector General's report on the FBI's for FISA court applications regarding the uh, investigation into Carter Page and more broadly, the Trump first campaign and then administration, I guess, in terms of, uh, gee, have they been penetrated or compromised by Russian interference? And that dropped in December of 2019. I didn't think the media coverage certainly was any good. That's where the title of this episode comes from, The Gaslighting of America. But beyond that, since that happened, as I'm recording this now, Trump recently ordered the the drone strike that took out the Iranian general. So let me just say definitively, I am aghast at that move. I am totally opposed to it. And I think it's a terrible decision that Trump made. I don't know, you know who was pressuring him to do that, whether it was because of the impeachment stuff and they just did a crude calculus. Who knows? Doesn't matter. That was a terrible mistake in my opinion. And so I just, I want to be clear there because in this episode, it's largely going to come off as me defending Trump against all of his critics. And you know, that's, that is what it's going to be, but I don't want it to be construed as I'm pro Trump. And it is awkward that I'm recording this episode right after Trump did what I think is a a very horrible thing in terms of uh, foreign policy. So having said all that, Now let's proceed to the topic today, the FBI spying and the gaslighting of America. So the context here, as you all know, is that even right after the election and before he was sworn in, there were rumors and allegations floating around that, oh man, Donald Trump is either working in, you know, direct league with the Russians or the Russians have compromising material, blackmail material on him. And so he's sort of having to do their bidding. And, uh, And then there was the first two years of his presidency were plagued by this cloud hanging over him. And geez, they had the Mueller investigation comes out and certainly nothing official happened. Now, of course, Democrats and others who dislike Trump 
spun it as, well, you know, it, did, it didn't say he was totally innocent. It just kind of said, you know, whatever. But certainly nothing happened what, as, as people had been led to believe. Right? There were high-level former intelligence officials and so on that were going around on CNN and MSNBC, places that were conducive to their message that made it just sound like, oh, yeah, it's a matter of fact, open and shut case. Trump and his inner circle did all kinds of crazy stuff. We got all the evidence for it. He's going down. It's just a matter of time. The walls are closing in and then nothing really happened, did it? And the, and the media just moved on, not, you know, any soul searching and what, gee, what, did we, did we maybe overstate what, gee, you know, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. None of that. And then the issue turns into, okay, well, so now what the heck happened here? And I think it's correct to say that the Trump administration, after they fended off that attack, then went on the counterattack. And so the inspector general goes and, and looks into specifically the four applications for the FISA court approval of the FBI going and surveilling Carter Page, for example, and you know the other things too. But that you know that that's the main one. That so in colloquial language, the FBI at some point in the summer of 2016 became very concerned that then candidate Trump, right? So Trump was just a private citizen at that point, running for president, who, you know, who was doing well in the primaries and whatever, and looked like he was going to be the nominee for the Republican Party, became concerned that he was somehow compromised by the Russians or possibly even working for them, or at least some of the, the key people in his campaign may have been working with the Russians. All right. And then, and so they wanted to start spying on them. I mean, you could say, well, that's a misleading term, but well, that's what they're doing. Just like you could say the FBI spied on certain mafia figures. I mean, that that's what they're doing. There's, there's no, you know, that that's the correct verb to use. You can say surveilling them if you prefer, if that's more antiseptic. And according to law, you know, the FBI can't just do that to a U.S. citizen on domestic soil without getting approval from a court. So that's what the FISA court's for. All right, so that's what they did. So they have to go explain why they want to start doing this stuff and get permission. Now, it's well known that the FISA court is just a rubber stamp process. I don't have the statistics off the top of my head, but I think it's almost unheard of that they're going to turn you down. If, if the FBI says we want to start monitoring somebody, they're going to say go ahead and do it. But nonetheless, what this Inspector General report is concerning, and this dropped in December of 2019, and here let me just give you the official title of this thing. So it's Office of the Inspector General, U.S. Department of Justice, Review of Four FISA Applications and Other Aspects of the FBI's Crossfire Hurricane Investigation. Okay, so the FBI's investigation into the Trump campaign and whether it had been compromised was called, you know, by the FBI, Crossfire Hurricane Investigation. And so here, the IG, that stands for Inspector General, is releasing this report in December of 2019, reviewing the four FISA applications and other aspects of the FBI's conduct there. Okay, and now this report is 478 pages long. But the thing is, you don't need to read the whole thing. You have, for the purposes of what I want to get across in this episode, all you got to do is read the executive summary and you can see, holy cow, the media's treatment of this. And when I say media, it's shorthand. I mean like what Michael Malice calls the corporate media. Obviously, at antiwar.com or Caitlin Johnstone or something, you're going to see 
a different treatment, but I'm talking about if you relied on major corporate outlets to get your news and how they reported on this, it's it's not at all correct. But the thing also I should mention, and I'm going to show you two examples of this, even within the mainstream corporate media reporting, if you are attentive and know what to look for, you actually can see that the takeaway they're trying to get you to have is not supported by the underlying facts. So that's what's really interesting about this. And I think it's how it's possible that what I'm calling here the gaslighting of America exists or works. By the way, in case you don't, you know, you hear people using that term, and what, what does that mean? It, it means when somebody's telling you you should think a certain way about something, and you know, you you're very concerned, you have objections or whatever, and they're they convince you that. No, wait, what are you talking about? That that's that's you know the way your take on that is completely wrong. And and they're saying it with such confidence where you start thinking you're going crazy. Because geez, to me, it really seems like X, Y, and Z, but these authoritative figures are just very confidently assuring you. And no, no, what are you talking about? No, it's it's not X, Y, Z, it's ABC. What do you and so that's what gaslighting means, and it it's an allusion to some film that I never saw where a husband's convincing his wife that you know that she's she's he's convincing her to dismiss all this evidence that her senses are giving her and she ends up thinking she's going crazy and she realizes no he was systematically lying to her and and trying to get her to think she was going crazy and it involved turning up and down the, the gas lights in the house something like that so that's where the term comes from anyway so what i'm saying here with the gaslighting of america is the major media they're actually not totally hiding these quote bombshell things I'm going to point out to you. It's just, they're telling you, oh yeah, that happened, but don't think X, Y, Z about it. Think ABC about it. Okay. And, and it doesn't mean, you know, oh, don't listen to the fans of Trump who are telling you that this is evidence for such and such. No, it's not. All, all serious analysts realize this is a now debunked theory or the, the discredited theory. That's the, what I mean by the gaslighting of America. That any normal person seeing some of this stuff would say, holy cow, this is a scandal. And they're telling you, no, it's not. Eh. Yeah, maybe some mistakes were made. Okay, so that's that's what I mean. And so what's interesting is the way, like I say, the way this is perpetuated is the people who are going to agree with the major corporate media narrative are going to be able to say truthfully, what are you talking about? We're not suppressing any evidence. No, even the New York Times story on the IG report lists these things that like Murphy's talking about in his episode 92 of his podcast here. So, and by the way, this is episode 92. So all the stuff's at bobmurphyshow.com slash 92 if you want to see the links. So what do you mean? There's no deception going on here. This isn't like state-run media or deep state-run media since they're going after the president, right? It's it's what he's talking about. There's there's freedom of the press here. No one's one's hiding anything. It's all out there in plain sight. So you'll see the nuances involved here because it is actually kind of interesting. Regardless of what you think about Trump or not, it is interesting to see how the media can make it look, can sort of like do PR for the FBI here and the intelligence community, since I think a lot of the people working corporate media like the angle that's taking, and they're very much for impeachment and hate Trump's guts. So they want to carry water for them, if you will. But yet there's there's no demonstrable lie that they're pointing out or that or that they're they're committing here. Right. So it's it's an interesting dynamic and how this thing works. It reminds me, by the way, it's not the exact same thing, but Noam Chomsky, I once saw this documentary on him 
And uh, so, you know, he's famous for his, his idea of manufactured consent, right? Where he, he shows how in Western democracies, there is a sense in which the governments are doing horrible things that are against the interest of the people, and yet the people consent to it. And so, you know, he's trying to show this is how that happens. It's not so that the people on their own say, oh, yes, please do all this stuff. And the government says, okay. But, you know, the, there's these insidious cabal of people who want to do things that are totally against the general welfare, but yet they figured out a way, you know, using the media and public schools and whatnot, to manufacture the consent. So there actually is consent in a certain way, but it's been manufactured, right? It's artificial. So anyway, somebody, um, you know, he, he's given a talk somewhere and then afterwards, so, you know, the, the makers of the documentary have a camera there so you can see Noam Chomsky talking to his fans, like young people in the audience who come up after his talk. And one of the kids just matter-of-factly says to him something like, yeah, I mean, so, you know, the New York Times and the Washington Post and all these organ, uh, major newspapers, you know, they just print whatever the government tells them to. And, and a kid, you know, he wasn't, asking Noam Chomsky, do you agree? He was just stating that matter-of-factly, thinking, hey, we're all among friends here. We all get it. We know what's up. We're not naive fools. We know that the major newspapers just print whatever the government tells them to, blah, 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 blah. And that wasn't even his point. And he was going to say something else. And Noam Chomsky stops the kid. And he says, no, that's not true. He said, if the White House literally told major newspapers or you know TV organizations this is the news you're going to report, they wouldn't do it. They would rebel and on principle because they like to think of themselves as a free and independent press. And he says, so the, you know, now here I'm paraphrasing, but his point was what's really insidious about how this actually works in our society, at least, is that the news, partly because the government, you know, gives special access and, you know, privileges to a few select reporters that, you know, breaking stories and whatnot, that the, the papers and the TV stations voluntarily self-censor, right? They don't print things that are, would be embarrassing to the government beyond a certain degree. And they matter-of-factly just go ahead and repeat the talking points that, you know, a Pentagon spokesperson gives or whatever if there's been a missile strike or whatnot, right? So it's, it's not that the government is literally ordering them, this is what you're going to do. They just march in line because it's in their own interest to do so. And so that's the dynamic that Noam Chomsky was describing there. So anyway, I just thought that was, that was interesting that this, you know, this kid thought Noam Chomsky would be like, oh yeah, give me a high five. You get it, man. The White House just tells the papers what to print. And, and he was saying, no, that it's, it's more subtle than that. And yet the outcome is still pretty insidious. Okay, so let's jump right into this stuff. So as far as gaslighting, let me just remind you folks, back on March 5th, 2017, so remember Trump gets elected November of 2016, he gets sworn in in January 2017, so just a few months after he's actually inaugurated, Trump goes on Twitter and he tweets, so this was March 4th, 2017, Trump tweets out, terrible exclamation point, just found out that Obama had my, quote, wires tapped in Trump Tower just before the victory. Nothing found. This is McCarthyism. And then he follows up a few minutes later to say, again, this is Trump tweeting in March of 2017, shortly after he gets inaugurated. Is it legal for a sitting president to be, quote, wiretapping a race for president prior to an election? 
turned down by court earlier. A new low. Okay. And then he, uh, let's see. And then the last one here I'll read is, how low has President Obama gone to tap my phones during the very sacred election process? This is Nixon slash Watergate. Bad or sick guy. Okay. So there, there's a series of Trump tweets where he's, t and, and these of course all have, like that one I just read there had 154,000 hearts on Twitter, right? So huge, hugely popular among Tr Trump's base. Wow, that's, that's a bombshell allegation. Can you imagine Donald Trump having the audacity to say the FBI was wiretapping him during the election process or, you know, the campaign? Is that, is that even legal, Trump had asked? That can a sitting president, because remember, when this would have happened, it would have been the Obama administration's Department of Justice and FBI and so on who would have been the ones involved, right? Because Obama was the president before Trump came in. All right, so that's the issue. And Trump is outraged saying, this is crazy. The FBI is spying on my campaign. And I, you know, I just learned about this. So we now know that, yes, he, that was correct. I mean, I don't know was it in Trump Tower or not, but the FBI was surveilling Carter Page who was intimately involved with the Trump campaign. And the reason they were, it wasn't like Carter Page was involved in laundering money for Colombian drug lords and he happened to also be working for Trump and the FBI was looking at him because of the, you know, no. They were specifically looking at him in his capacity as someone on the Trump campaign to see is the Trump campaign colluding with or somehow beholden to the Russian government. So... In terms of the big picture, yeah, maybe some of Trump's little nuances there and details were off, but the spirit is 100% correct. Yes, the Obama administration's FBI was spying on the Trump campaign. Now, you can say it was justified. They had reason to do so, but Trump's not crazy for saying that. He's largely correct. So how did CNN treat that? Well, here I'm reading from a story now on March 5th, so the day... Right, is it the day after? Yeah, the day after those tweets came out. So here's a CNN article titled Trump's Baseless Wiretap Claim. It was by Jeremy Diamond, Jeff Zellini, and Shimon Prokubizet. Sorry, I'm probably butchering that last guy's name. That he's, I don't even know. That last person's name. Don't know. Okay, so let me just read you the flavor of this thing. It starts out. President Donald Trump made a stunning claim Saturday, alleging without offering evidence that his predecessor, Barack Obama, wiretapped his phones at Trump Tower ahead of the 2016 election. And then it quotes, and you know, in the body of the article, it's quoting Trump. The president went on to compare the alleged tapping of his phones to Watergate and called Obama, quote, bad or sick. Okay, quoting some more. Now, here we go. So what does, this, what does the CNN article tell us about these claims from the president? Does it say... Well, yeah, I mean, but in fairness, you know, there have been rumors floating around that Trump is colluding with the Russians. And so, you know, you could see why they should spy. No, that's not how it leads. Here's how it leads. But two former senior U.S. officials quickly dismissed Trump's accusations out of hand. Quote, just nonsense, end quote, said one former senior U.S. intelligence official. Okay, so the very first thing that the CNN article tells us after condensing and telling us quickly what Trump's allegations were was just nonsense. End of story from one former senior U.S. intelligence officer. That's what they lead with. Just nonsense. You know, no elaboration, but just nonsense. Boom, is the quote they gave from that one person. Another former senior U.S. official with direct knowledge of investigations by the Justice Department under the Obama administration, 
Okay, so this is now a person, because that first person, it just calls him or her a former senior U.S. intelligence official. I mean, for all we know, that person worked for the Bill Clinton administration. You know, we, we don't know. But now the second person they're quoting has direct knowledge of investigations by the Justice Department under the Obama administration, right? So this person really knows what he or she's talking about. So here's what CNN says that person says. Another former senior U.S. official with direct knowledge of investigations by the Justice Department under the Obama administration said Trump's phones were never tapped. Quote, this did not happen. It is false. Wrong, the former official told CNN. Okay, so at this point now, the thing that CNN's article is leading with, you got one official saying it's nonsense and another one saying it did not happen, it's wrong. Boom, right? So if that's all you really needed to read, you know, a lot of people at this point could walk away and say, okay, yeah, Trump's crazy just making up something that we know for sure did not happen. One guy says it's nonsense and another person with direct knowledge of the Justice Department's activities under the Obama decision said it didn't happen. Okay, so boom. What else do you need? What a liar Trump is. Just crazy, paranoid guy. You know, the only question at this point is, is he just lying through his teeth, Trump, or is he just nuts? Who knows? Maybe a little of both. That's what you would think if you stopped reading the article at this point. Okay. A spokesman for Obama, Kevin Lewis, now at last we actually have someone on record. The other two people were just anonymous. Called, quote, any suggestion, end quote, that Obama or any White House official ordered surveillance against Trump, quote, simply false. Okay, so now you start to see a little bit of what I meant about it's a subtlety, it's nuanced. You, the more you read in this CNN article, the more you realize, wait a minute. Okay, so I'll just keep reading. I'll let you, the listener, see if you can tell where I'm going with this and what I mean. And if you don't get it, I'll spell it out at the end. Don't worry, folks. Okay, so now this is still a quote from Kevin Lewis. Quote, a cardinal rule of the Obama administration was that no White House official ever interfered with any independent investigation led by the Department of Justice, Lewis said in a statement early Saturday afternoon. As part of that practice, neither President Obama nor any White House official ever ordered surveillance on any U.S. citizen. Any suggestion otherwise is simply false. Okay, so does everybody see where this is going? So their point is, oh, yeah, the FBI was spying on Trump's campaign, but Obama didn't order it. And Trump said in his tweets that Obama ordered it wrong. That did not happen. Nonsense. Obama didn't order it. You see, <laughs> folks, how that works? So uh, I dare say the average, like out of a thousand people reading this CNN article, and thankfully at this point, maybe only a thousand people did read it, Easily 995 walked away thinking there was no spying period of the Trump campaign, not, oh yeah, sure, the Obama administration's FBI spied on the Trump campaign that was running against you know their ally, Hillary Clinton, who of course they wanted to win. But Trump, when he said Obama ordered it, I mean, that's a little bit inaccurate, Mr. Trump. Obama didn't order it. That's not what the average person would have thought, especially with the framing just to say just nonsense in the beginning. Right. And like to lead with those things as opposed to leading with the more nuanced Kevin Lewis explanation that neither Obama nor any White House official could have ordered that. In fact, it's their policy not to interfere with ongoing investigations. Okay. Let me just skim through here to see. Uh, okay. Here you go. So you, you keep reading. 
the former senior U.S. official with direct knowledge of the Justice Department's investigation, right, so this must be the person that they, the second one they quoted from in the article, said Obama could not have ordered such a warrant. It would have been taken to a judge by investigators, but investigators never sought a warrant to monitor Trump's phones, the former official said. Okay, so even here, you would be absolutely certain if you were a normal person reading this, that yeah, there is a process in place by which theoretically the Obama administration could have been spying on the Trump campaign, but there's a mechanism and there's a process and that process was not initiated. So no, it, Trump has to be lying. That can't be true, right? It would have been taken to a judge by investigators, but investigators never sought a warrant to monitor Trump's phones, the former official said. So here, I think either the person just flat out lying or what he means is, or she, we don't know, what that person means is, no, we never, the FBI never said we want to surveil Donald Trump. We wanted to surveil Carter Page, who was working for the Trump campaign. But no, this idea that we were tapping Trump, so no, we weren't. We were just tapping the phones of uh, one of the people on his campaign. What are you talking about, Donald? Paranoid nut job? Okay, and then uh, former Obama Deputy National Security Advisor Ben Rhodes echoed the point in a tweet responding to Trump. So Ben Rhodes says in a tweet, no president can order a wiretap. Those restrictions were put in place to protect citizens from people like you, talking to Trump. Okay, so again, just to let everybody know, the bad guy here is Donald Trump. He is a nut job. He doesn't care about civil liberties. And th so this is what I mean when I say the gaslighting of America. And again, the defender of all this stuff, because we talk about Bob, it, you know, nobody said anything demonstrably false in, in those statements. And give me a break, right? If, if you, the listener, don't know what I mean when I say that is gaslighting, I don't know what to tell you. You should probably just stop listening to this episode because it's only going to go downhill from here. But that's a primary example of what I mean and what the first two years of the Trump administration have been like, where there was just round after round of over-the-top claims. And then you realize, well, wait a minute, it's not, not true. And the, and the nuances get filled in. So likewise here, what Trump said was largely correct. I mean, again... Also, too, we don't know what made him say that, right? So it's possible that somebody, you know, he just became aware of the fact that the FBI was surveilling his campaign and he just summarized that in a tweet by saying, they wiretap my phones, which, you know, is not the exact same thing. So it could have been something like that. Who knows? Trump obviously isn't a, a paragon of precision when it comes to his tweets and getting things exactly correct. But... In the grand scheme of things, yeah, the FBI was spying on his campaign. And 995 out of 1,000 people reading that, reading that CNN article would have walked away thinking the FBI absolutely did not spy on Trump's campaign. And Trump is a crazy, paranoid nut job. Okay. So let's now turn to the December 2019 IG report looking into the FISA court application. And I want to read first the New York Times treatment of it. Because again, it's the same pattern where the thrust of the story, you know, in terms of how do they, what's the headline they give? And then, you know, how do they open the thing up is telling the readers to think about it one way. But if you keep reading the whole article and you have an open mind, you realize, wait a minute, it's not clear that the headline and the opening paragraphs, their spirit and tone line up with the stuff that you actually learn if you keep reading the article. Okay, so here is the New York Times treatment. This came out on December 9th of 2019. 
It says, report on FBI Russia inquiry finds serious errors, but debunks anti-Trump plot. And then the subtitle of this article is, a long-awaited report by the Justice Department's Inspector General delivers a scathing critique of the FBI's handling of a wiretap application, but also punctures many conspiracy theories. All right, and then I'll just read a little bit of the main article. And so the authors here were Charlie Savage, Adam Goldman, and Katie Benner. And so here's the opening. FBI officials had sufficient reason to open the investigation into links between Russia and Trump campaign aides in 2016 enacted without political bias, a long-awaited report said on Monday, but it concluded that the inquiry was a rushed and dysfunctional process marked by serious errors in documents related to a wiretap. The exhaustive report by the Justice Department's Independent Inspector General, Michael E. Horowitz, faced an immediate challenge. Attorney General William P. Barr sought to undermine the key findings that investigators had an adequate basis to open the inquiry known as Crossfire Hurricane. So, quote, the Inspector General's report now makes clear that the FBI launched an intrusive investigation of a U.S. presidential campaign on the thinnest of suspicions that, in my view, were insufficient to justify the steps taken, quote, unquote. Mr. Barr, a close ally of President Trump, who has begun his own reinvestigation of the Russian inquiry, said in a statement, and I'll just read one more, two more, two more paragraphs here. Yet Mr. Horowitz stressed that the standard for opening an FBI investigation was low, echoing the sort of criticism that civil libertarians have made for years. He also exonerated former FBI leaders, broadly rejecting Mr. Trump's accusations that they engaged in a politicized conspiracy to sabotage him. Quote, we did not find documentary or testimonial evidence that political bias or improper motivation influenced, end quote, officials' decisions to open the investigation, the report said. Okay, so clearly somebody reading this you know, this is reading the New York Times treatment. Like, hey, what's going on? This IG report came out. It's, oh man, it's hundreds of pages long. I'm not going to read that thing. And plus, I don't know all the different stuff going. What the heck is a FISA? Someone's going to read what the New York Times has to say about the newspaper record. You're going to conclude, okay, yes, the FBI did some things poorly, but the government looked into it and concluded, now there was no political bias here. Trump and his allies suggesting that there's some deep state coup out to remove the president because they don't like a crazy talk, right? So, and here, again, nothing, somebody who wants to defend the New York Times story here, there's nothing demonstrably false about those opening paragraphs. In fact, they could say, what are you talking about? They gave primetime coverage to William Barr in his denunciation or or harsh reaction to the report's conclusions, and they didn't doctor the quote from the report. Okay, so the problem is, okay, number one, part of what I'm calling the gaslighting occurs in the actual report, right? So the inspector general report is sort of annoying because the things they document, which, you know, I'll get to two, two of the main ones here in a minute, would lead anybody to say, what are you talking about? Of course the FBI was out to get Trump. Are you kidding me? These aren't just careless mistakes or incompetence. They clearly were trying to get this guy. And again, I'll, I'll give you two examples in a second here. But, and so for the IG report to then have the language that it just had there that the New York Times reporters truthfully quoted is kind of crazy, right? So it's more, I put more of the blame on the IG report than I do on the New York Times story. But nonetheless... That's, you know, the media, again, shouldn't just be blindly parroting what 
government organs say reporters should say, well, look into it and be like, well, wait a second. And the two things I'm going to talk about here are both mentioned in the New York Times story, right? So it's not as if you would have to go searching or you'd have to go read the original document itself to see that the stuff is in here. So it's the same kind of thing where, you know, I, I get into arguments with some people on Twitter and whatnot saying, geez, I, I can't believe the way the media whitewashed this and they're making it sound like it's not a big deal. The person's like, what are you talking about? The, the major coverage I saw acknowledged all the things you're pointing out, Bob. And, and the, you know, he was right. They, they do, right? The, the two big things I'm going to mention here in this episode in a second, keep you on the edge of your seat. I keep teasing you with it. They're alluded to in the New York Times piece, in this very article that I'm reading. You know, it's, it's pushed down into the article. You got to keep reading. But the point being, they're not hiding it. They're acknowledging it. And so somebody who wants to defend the corporate media's coverage of this and to say that, yeah, it's, there's no reason the FBI, like they could just say, we're talking about, we're not hiding anything. So again, gaslighting all the way through because let me now <laughs> just explain to you what I think are the two most egregious problems or, or th things that the IG report documented that the FBI did. And I can't see how any normal person is going to hear those and not conclude whoa, the FBI was totally abusing the process, intentionally doing shady stuff in order to nail Trump. Now, you could say, because, yeah, Trump is a horrible guy and, we, you know, they had to get him out. And, you know, I did, did they maybe bend some corners or cut some corners and just to get get this thing through? Okay, but why not? This, this guy is a, is a threat to all sorts of people and they had to get him out. Okay, you could say that. But to say that this was just, you know, oh, geez, yeah, these agents need some better training or the FBI ought to have some better procedure. It's crazy when you see some of these things. Okay. One, um, I don't know if caveat's the right word, but one element involved here as to how could it be that the Office of the Inspector General could release this 478-page report that contains the stuff I'm going to mention here and yet conclude that they saw no evidence of political bias, you know, any, any anti-Trump animus involved in the process. They just noted these errors and, huh, but, you know, just kind of random things. FBI just randomly every once in a while making incredibly sloppy mistakes here, but we don't think it was because they were trying to, they're out to get Trump. Part of it is that the, the method they had to use in this investigation almost guaranteed that outcome. Okay, so let me read to you from the report itself when it said, this is how we're going to proceed here. All right, so on the very first page of the executive summary, it says OIG methodology. Now, I actually think maybe it should say OIG method, but fair enough. And OIG stands for Office of the Inspector General, which is under the Department of, the, of Justice, all right? So here's how the report explains the method that was used in the construction of this report. The OIG examined more than 1 million documents that were in the department's and FBI's possession and conducted over 170 interviews involving more than 100 witnesses. These witnesses included former FBI Director Comey, former Attorney General Loretta Lynch, former Deputy Attorney General Sally Yates. Let's see. Da, 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 da. Um, the OIG also interviewed Christopher Steele and current and former employees of other U.S. government agencies. Two witnesses, Glenn Simpson and Jonathan Weiner, declined our request for blah, blah, blah. Okay. 
We were given broad access to relevant materials by the department and the FBI. In addition, we reviewed relevant information that other U.S. government agencies provided the FBI in the course of the Crossfire Hurricane investigation. Da -da 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 -da. Okay. Additionally, our review did not independently seek to determine whether corroboration existed for the Steele election reporting. Rather, our review was focused on information that was available to the FBI concerning Steele's reports prior to and during the presidency or sorry, the pendency of the Carter Page FISA authority. And here's the important stuff. Our role in this review was not to second-guess discretionary judgments by department personnel about whether to an open investigation or specific judgment calls made during the course of an investigation where those decisions complied with or were authorized by department rules, policies, or procedures. We do not criticize particular decisions merely because we might have recommended a different investigative strategy or tactic. The question we considered was not whether a particular investigative decision was ideal or could have been handled more effectively, but rather whether the department and the FBI complied with applicable legal requirements, policies, and procedures in taking the actions we reviewed, or alternatively, whether the circumstances surrounding the decision indicated that it was based on inaccurate or incomplete information or considerations other than the merits of the investigation. Here we go. This is it. If the explanations we were given for a particular decision were consistent with legal requirements, policies, procedures, and not unreasonable, we did not conclude that the decision was based on improper considerations in the absence of documentary or testimonial evidence to the contrary. Okay, so a lot of words there, but what they're basically saying is in any case where we identified something that seemed improper, as long as the FBI could give us, you know, some justification for what they did and to show, well, no, we could either comply with procedures or, you know, oh yeah, that was just a screw up on our part. We, we should have done better there. And no one else is, you know, testifying to them saying, oh no, actually I know that that was wrong, that they were doing it to get Trump or whatever. Then the IG is not going to second guess their motivations. All right. So again, given that, scope of how they're going to proceed in this thing, it would be pretty difficult for them to have concluded the FBI acted out of malice. All right. So, and that's something that William Barr said when he was being interviewed on this report, you know, he was basically saying, yeah, well, the, the scope and the, the way they proceeded, it would be difficult for them to have concluded otherwise, you know, unless they interviewed somebody who just volunteered and said, yeah, the reason I did that was because I hate Trump's guts and I wanted to get him out of the White House. I mean, absent something like that, it would be difficult for this report to conclude that the FBI's gross incompetence was due to political bias that was trying to get out, get Trump out of there. Okay, so there's that element. Now, uh, as far as the two things I want to focus on here, and there's a lot of stuff, right? There, there were plenty of mistakes, uh, things that the FBI should have done differently but let me focus on the two that to me are the most egregious and that show they weren't actually mistakes in the sense of carelessness or, oh yeah, we were overworked and we, that one just slipped through the cracks. No, that doesn't make sense. Okay, before I jump into that stuff though, let me just give you guys some of the background here. I know probably if you're vaguely following this stuff, you know, these things are somewhat hazy, but you kind of, but let me just go ahead and just read this just to remind ourselves of the context here. So this again is coming from the executive summary of the IG report that came out in December of 2019. 
So this is just giving sort of the, the context and the background of what's going on. In June 2016, Steele, who's Christopher Steele, who's former MI6, right, working for British intelligence, and his consulting firm were hired by Fusion GPS, a Washington, D.C. investigative firm, to obtain information about whether Russia was trying to achieve a particular outcome in the 2016 U.S. elections, what personal and business ties then-candidate Trump had in Russia, and whether there were any ties between the Russian government and Trump or his campaign. Steele's work for Fusion GPS resulting in his producing numerous election-related reports, which have been referred to collectively as the Steele dossier. Steele himself was not the originating source of any of the factual information in his reporting. Steele instead relied on a primary subsource for information who used his or her network of subsources to gather information that was then passed to Steele. Okay, so again, just to, so Christopher Steele used to work for British Intelligence, now is freelancing, has his own consulting firm. That firm was hired in June of 2016 by Fusion GPS, which is a, a firm based in Washington, to dig up dirt on the Trump campaign and to see whether it had ties to Russia. So to do this, Steele relied on this, quote, primary subsource. And that person, in turn, had a bunch of other sources that fed information to the primary subsource who then turned over that stuff to Steele. And then he produced a series of reports for Fusion GPS, the totality of which people just call the Steele dossier. And that's the thing that was making the rounds. Various news organizations didn't want to touch it. And then finally, and that's the whole thing that, um, you know, Comey brings in and shows Trump and said, hey, this just came into our possession. I just want you to be aware of this. And eventually, you know, some news outlet breaks it. And then now that it's out there, other organizations that are more reputable can report on it because now it's out in the public. And that's what happened. And, you know, and then this thing had all kinds of crazy stuff about Trump being in a room with Russian prostitutes and there were bodily fluids floating around, all, a lot of stuff like that in there, right? Some of the stuff in this dossier, by the way, just proven to be demonstrably false. Okay, but that's what's going on so far. By the way, before I move on, let me just mention, let me read a little bit more here. Steele's handling agent told us that when Steele provided him with the first election reports in July 2016 and described his engagement with Fusion GPS, it was obvious to him, meaning to the person at the FBI who's handling Steele, it was obvious to him that the request for the research was politically motivated, right? That the reason Fusion GPS hired Steele was to get Trump. It wanted Hillary Clinton to win. You know, that was the whole point of this. The supervisory intelligence analyst who supervised the analytical efforts for the Crossfire Hurricane team explained that he was also aware of the potential for political influences on the Steele reporting. The fact that the FBI believed Steele had been retained to conduct political opposition research did not require the FBI under either DOJ or FBI policy to ignore his reporting. The FBI regularly receives information from individuals with potentially significant biases and motivations, including drug traffickers, convicted felons, and even terrorists. The FBI is not required to set aside such information. Rather, FBI policy requires that it critically assess the information. We found that after reviewing Steele's reporting, the Crossfire Hurricane team began those efforts in earnest. Okay, so why is that interesting? Because remember, the whole point here of why Trump's campaign was bad, naughty, uh, um, is that oh, Trump actually was open to the idea or some of his subordinates that 
if the Russians had dirt on Hillary Clinton, they were willing to meet with them and look at it. Oh my God, that's, that's a foreign government interfering with our election. That's a scandal of the century. We need to get Trump out of them. This is amazing. But it's okay for someone who used to work for the British government to be hired by a firm quite explicitly to dig up dirt on Trump, not by relying on sources in the US, by the way, but relying on foreign sources, some of whom were Russian, in order to get dirt on the Trump campaign and then to give it to the FBI. And they're like, well, yeah, that's that's fine. Politically motivated research coming from foreign people in an effort to sway the outcome of an election. That's totally fine. I mean, we'll even take information from terrorists. What are you talking about? There's no problem here. So again, <laughs> just the gaslighting of America. All right. So now here's one of the big bombshells of this thing. And by the way, so there's a lot of stuff that the report criticizes the FBI for, but it's things where the agents fail to include certain information that arguably would have given a more balanced picture and that might have influenced the Pfizer court's decision as to whether to renew. So, so the issue is, by the way, that there were four applications, right? So they originally applied, and then the issue is they kept re-up, you know, the, the FISA court approval to go ahead and surveil Carter Page and so on only had a limited duration. Like, you, you just don't get an open-ended thing to be able to monitor them forever. And so the FBI had to go back to the court to get a renewal for its FISA application. So there were ultimately four applications. So part of what's going on is the FBI, you know, learning more information as time passes. And then did they let the court know about how the situation had changed from the time of the first application? And there were all kinds of examples of how they didn't. Like they learned new stuff, but didn't pass it on. But with that stuff... The reason I'm not bothering to get into it, it's like to me that wasn't smoking gun stuff is, you know, it's a big organization, you're running all, and you could see how they, it could have just been incompetence or laziness or whatever that they didn't pass along some stuff, you know, so there it's like, all right, I'm not going to go to the barricades over that. Whereas the two things I'm going to mention here, this is clearly not just incompetence and an error. This was, a, you know, these are deliberate things that they did. Okay. So... I'm going to read now from the uh, executive summary. So this is starting at page 12, but it's, you know, the executive summary. So it's like X11 in terms of its Roman numerals. The renewal applications also continue to fail to include information regarding Carter Page's past relationship with another U.S. government agency, even though both OI and members of the Crossfire Hurricane expressed concern about the possibility of a prior relationship following interviews that Page gave to news outlets in April and May of 2017, stating that he had assisted other U.S. government agencies in the past. Okay, so here, if you're not really hip deep in this stuff, it's confusing. So what happened is a media story broke at some point, I think in the fall of 2016 originally, saying that, oh, Carter Page is being watched by the government to see if, you know, if, if he's been colluding with Russia. Okay, and so then, so now that his name's out in the public, people are asking him, so Carter Page is like, what are you talking about? That's, that's not and Carter Page, in various things, talking to the media, was saying, and I don't know, I haven't gone and, and dug up his actual thing, so I don't know how specific he was there. And in this um, IG report, they don't call it the CIA. They just keep vaguely referring to it as another U.S. government agency, meaning not the FBI. But I'm, the, the consensus is among the people discussing this, 
and I think Carter Page even chimed in and said he thinks they must be talking about the CIA. But strictly speaking, I don't want to speak out of turn here. Technically, the IG report doesn't say they have the CIA in mind. They just refer to it vaguely as another government agency. But I think what's going on is they're talking about the CIA. And so what happened is Carter Page was telling the media, are you kidding me? I'm not a Russian. I'm not working for the Russians. In fact, to prove I'm on our side, I went to the CIA and I told them, hey, the Russians want to talk to me. What, what should I do? And the CIA said, oh, yeah, go talk to him and then tell us what happens, right? So that Carter Page was had been cooperating with the CIA, going and meeting with Russians and then telling the CIA what happened, okay? And so when the CIA learned that the FBI was investigating Carter Page because, among other things, oh, he's meeting with Russians, the CIA told the FBI, hey, you, got, you guys know he's working with us, right? It's to be clear, it's not that Carter Page is a CIA agent. It's just that, he was cooperating with them and telling them what was going on and they were cool with it because they wanted to, you know, learn about, okay, yeah, what are the Russians up to? Go ahead. All right. So the CIA told the FBI, he's working with us, by the way, just so you know. So the FBI, when it went to the FISA court to say, we want permission to spy on Carter Page, neglected to tell them that the CIA had told the FBI, oh, by the way, he's been telling us he's meeting with the Russians, right? Because you think that might influence your opinion as to whether what he's doing is treasonous, okay? So you could say, oh, well, they just didn't volunteer that information. Nah, but here's where it gets interesting, okay? Um, so here's now, I'm reading again from the IG report. As we describe in chapter eight, in June 2017, SSA2, right? So that's just their way of referring to a particular individual without naming him or her, who was to be the affiant for renewal application number three, and had been the affiant for the first two renewals. Okay, so the, the person on the FISA court who has to make the ruling told us that he, I guess it's a he, told us that he wanted a definitive answer to whether Page had ever been a source for another U.S. government agency before he signed the final renewal application. Okay, so again, the FBI has to keep going back to the FISA court to renew its application for permission to spy on Carter Page because, hey, it looks like he's working with the Russians, or he could be, and we need to watch this guy. And Carter Page is telling the media, I'm innocent. In fact, I've been helping the CIA. And again, I don't know if he actually said CIA, but he, you know, saying another agency. I've been you know, helping another agency. I think he probably did say CIA. Telling him I'm meeting with the Russians. Yeah, so yes, I did meet with them, but I, it wasn't for nefarious purposes. And I was totally playing ball with the, with the U.S. authorities. You know, give me a break. And so this person on the FISA court, you know, is saying, you know, before we, we sign the final renewal application. Oh, actually, sorry, folks. Let me, let me just make a clarification here. SSA, what it actually stands for is Supervisory Special Agent. Okay, so the SSA works for the FBI. All right, so this is not the FISA court person. This is like the person that's got to say, okay, you know, before I put my name on us sending this thing over, to get it renewed, right? So that, that's, I think, what's going on here, right? So SSA, again, stands for Supervisory Special Agent for the FBI. Okay, so again here, in June 2017, SSA 2, who was to be the affiant for renewal application number three and had been the affiant for the first two renewals, told us that he wanted a definitive answer to whether Page had ever been a source for another U.S. government agency before he signed the final renewal application. 
right? So before, you know, we formally apply to renew this thing. So let me just read this to continue the IG report. This led to interactions between the OGC attorney assigned to Crossfire Hurricane and a liaison from the other U.S. government agency. So again, we don't know for sure, but it looks like the attorney for the FBI who has been assigned to this investigation is dealing with a liaison from the CIA. In an email from the liaison from the CIA to the OGC attorney, the liaison provided written guidance, including that it was the liaison's recollection that Page had or continued to have a relationship with the other agency and directed the OGC attorney to review the information that the other agency had provided the FBI in August 2016. Okay, so again, just to summarize here, one of the higher-ups in the FBI said, hey, before I sign, you know, put my name on this renewal application to the FISA court, Page is going around in the media saying he's been working with the CIA. Is that true? Like, figure that out. And so the lower-level attorney for the FBI on this case goes and talks to a liaison from the CIA. Again, folks, with this stuff, the report doesn't say CIA, but that's what most people are assuming must be the case. All right, so I'm just assuming it is the CIA, but it doesn't say that. And the person from the CIA says, yeah, it's my understanding he is working with us. And in fact, remember back in August of 2016, we told you he was working with for us. So now, and I think he still is. Okay, so, so the issue is the, the FBI in the original applications didn't mention that the, that the CIA had reached out to us in August 2016. And now at this point, because Carter Page has gone public with this stuff, the supervisor is saying, I want a definitive answer to this, right? So the, again, the attorney within the FBI who's working on this stuff is going to go and talks to the liaison from the CIA. CIA guy says, yep, it's my understanding he is still working with us. And for sure, back in, remember, back in August of 2016, we sent you an email saying he was, all right? Okay, I'm now resuming reading from the IG report. As noted above, that August 2016 information stated that Page did, in fact, have a prior relationship with that other agency. The next morning, following a 28-minute telephone call between the OGC attorney and the OI attorney, the OGC attorney forwarded to the OI attorney the liaison's email, but not the original email from the OGC attorney to the liaison, da 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 the OI attorney responded to the OGC attorney saying, thanks, I think we are good and no need to carry it further. Okay, so here we go. However, when the OGC attorney subsequently sent the liaison's email to SSA2, right, the SSA, remember, was the supervising special agent, the person who said, hey, before I put my name on this last renewal for the FISA court, I want a definitive answer. Is Carter Page working for the CIA? So now here... You're getting ready for him to force it. Yep, he is, or at least he was before. And they, here's what happened. The OGC attorney altered the liaison's email by inserting the words, quote, not a source, into it, thus making it appear that the liaison had said that Page was not a source for the other agency. It's funny how that would happen. If you inserted the three words, not a source, into an email, it might give a misleading impression. <laughs> <laughs> that the that Carter Page was not a source for the agency. If you insert the words, not a source. It's funny how that happens. If you also inserted saying he's from the planet Krypton, you might lead you to believe he's Superman. But in any event, relying upon this altered email, SSA2 signed the third renewal application that again failed to disclose Page's past relationship with the other agency. Okay, 
So here, um, this isn't an oversight. This isn't incompetence unless people just randomly type three words into emails and then forward them. Okay, so again, I just want to make sure you get the big picture here. The FBI keeps renewing its application to continue spying on Carter Page because they're saying he's working for the Russians. And it becomes publicly known that Carter Page may have been working with the CIA and that they knew he was meeting with the Russians and encouraged him to do so. And they're like, yeah, he's, he's giving us information. And so when a higher up in the FBI who was like the actual person to sign and formally you know, do the, the renewal request told his subordinate, before I put my name in this thing, go make sure. I want a definitive answer. Is Carter Page working with, for the CIA? Person went, the liaison from the CIA said, yeah, I think he still is. And he certainly was before. Remember back in August, we sent you stuff saying he was working with us. And then that person talked to some other lawyer. They said, yep, we're good. Forwarded the email from the CIA liaison to his supervisor but inserted the words into the forwarded email saying Carter Page is not a source with us. And then, you know, the supervisor was, okay, good. He's not a source. Yeah, I got no problem putting my name on this thing then. And that's what happened. All right, so I don't know what you want to talk about that, but that, that's not incompetence. That, I mean, that's clearly lying. That's, you know, forging evidence or what have you. Okay. The other example that I want to cover has to do with the FBI's continuing evolution of knowledge about the Steele dossier and its reliability. Okay, the other main thing I want to cover here is, um, let me read to you from the executive summary. So this is also from page 12, XII, and then I'll paraphrase it so you understand exactly what's going on. So this is the IG report. Among the most serious of the 10 additional errors we found in in the renewal applications was the FBI's failure to advise OI or the court of the inconsistencies described in detail in Chapter 6 between Steele and his primary subsource on the reporting relied upon in the FISA applications. Although the primary subsource's account of these communications, if true, was not consistent with and, in fact, contradicted the allegations of a well-developed conspiracy in Reports 95 and 102 attributed to Person 1, The FBI did not share this information with OI. The FBI also failed to share other inconsistencies with OI, including the primary subsource's account of the alleged meeting between Page and Session in Steele's report. Okay, so what's going on here is, remember, the way the Steele dossier was compiled, and it consisted actually of several different reports, and that's what they're talking about here with with a report and a number after it, is Steele had this primary subsource who in turn went around and had a bunch of other sources that told the primary subsource some stuff. That primary subsource reported it to Steele, and then Steele wrote it all up. Okay, so at some point, the FBI interviewed that primary subsource, right? And at this point, you know, this stuff's all out in the open at this point, and the primary subsource told the FBI, hey, I've seen what Steele did with the stuff I told him. And no, that's, he's saying things that I didn't tell him. Okay, I'm obviously paraphrasing. But the primary subsource, right, the person upon whom Steele relied to generate what's called the Steele dossier, when interviewed by the FBI after all this stuff is out in the open, and the FBI is continuing to go back to the FISA court to renew its applications, the primary subsource told them 
there is stuff in that Steele dossier that I didn't tell him. He's saying things that aren't coming from me. And, you know, that, so in other words, things that according to Steele, he heard from the primary subsource, the primary subsource is now telling the FBI, no, I didn't say that. You know, he's, he's drawing, he's connecting dots or whatever that I didn't tell him. So he, he's, he's saying things that are not consistent with what I passed along to him. Okay. So that's a huge deal, isn't it? And yet when the FBI in its renewed FISA court applications mentioned the fact that, oh, by the way, we interviewed one of the primary subsources for that Steele dossier. This is what they said. So that's, I'm now reading the IG report again. Instead, the second and third renewal applications provided no substantive information concerning the primary subsource's interview and offered only a brief conclusory statement that the FBI met with the primary subsource, quote, in an effort to further corroborate Steele's reporting, end quote, and found the primary subsource to be, quote, truthful and cooperative. Okay, so, <laughs> I mean, this, this is really audacious. It's almost impressive. So again, the FBI, it keeps going back to the FISA court, you know, to say, hey, we still think there's plenty of reason here. We ought to be monitoring Carter Page and the Trump campaign. And so, you know, one of the lead things was the Steele dossier. I guess I didn't establish that at the beginning. And by the way, this is one of the, the disputes. So the pro-FBI, anti-Trump people realize the Steele dossier is a very weak uh, link in the argument here. And so it's, it's important for them to establish that, no, 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 contrary to Trump's fans and apologists, the Steele dossier was not the reason the FBI opened the investigation. So, and, and whereas the Trump team was like, no, clearly the IG report said it was. What's going on is they're, they're actually saying two different things. The IG report does say that the FBI became concerned about possible Russian interference and collusion with the Trump campaign because of, uh, what's his name, George Papadopoulos, say, you know, saying at a bar, oh yeah, the Russians said they got some dirt on Hillary, maybe I'm going to go check that out, something like that. And then the FBI heard about that and that's why they were going to open the case. But at that time, they didn't think they had enough to go to the FISA court. It was only when they got their hands on the Steele dossier that the FBI then decide, okay, yes, now we have enough. And the IG report does say that the Steele dossier was essential in the FBI's initial FISA court application. Okay, so those are the two different things going on and why the two camps are pointing the IG report as a vindication of their position. Okay, so given that the Steele dossier was critical or essential, I think was the word they used, to the initial application, the FBI's views as to its veracity and trustworthiness over time would surely be relevant as they keep going back to the court to get this thing renewed, right? And so what they did, among other things, is they went and themselves interviewed the primary subsource that Steele relied on to construct this dossier and to put in all these allegations. Because remember, it's not that Steele himself went out and researched this stuff. He just put into this report or this dossier stuff he heard from this primary subsource who in turn had his own network of informants or whatever sources. So the FBI invest or interviews the primary subsource and that guy tells them, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in that Steele dossier that I didn't tell him, that he took what I said and embellished it or exaggerated or whatever to make it look like there were these connections between the Trump campaign and Russia and the Russian government and he's attributing it to the stuff he got from me, but no, what I told him did not establish any direct link. Okay, again, this I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he told the FBI. 
So now the FBI, going back to the FISA court and renew the applications, said, hey, you know, since the first application, we've done some more research on our own because we know how important that Steele dossier was. And in fact, we interviewed the primary subsource, the person that was, you know, the primary person giving all the information that ended up in the Steele dossier. And uh, we found that primary subsource to be uh, truthful and credible. They didn't mention that, oh yeah, what we found him to be truthful about was him telling us that the Steele dossier was a bunch of crap, which, you know, is kind of relevant to this issue. All right, so there, that's another one where, give me a break. There's no way that that's just incompetence or that's clearly you're going out of your way. In other words, if they had just never interviewed the person or if they'd interviewed him and didn't include that in the file or in the application, didn't mention it, okay, you could possibly say, you know, I don't know how these big bureaucracies work and who knows. Maybe you could you could say that that wasn't intentional. It was just sloppiness or whatever. But if they're going to go to the trouble of mentioning in the renewal application the fact that they interviewed the primary subsource for the Steele dossier's salacious allegations, you think the number one thing that they would have to put in there would be to say, by the way, yeah, he did actually dispute and, and claim that Steele put words in his mouth or, or you know, said things that he didn't give him. So that, yeah, yeah that's, I mean, the, the number one takeaway from that interview is we can't believe anything in that Steele dossier at this point because the primary source is telling us directly, uh-uh, that's not what I told Steele. And yet, that's not what they chose to say to the FISA court in their application. Instead, what the FBI told them was, yeah, we interviewed the primary subsource and found him to be uh, truthful and cooperative. So giving the exact opposite impression, meaning you would think that meant, yeah, we're, we independently verify this thing and we still see no reason to doubt the veracity of the Steele dossier's allegations. So that's why you should go ahead and renew this application. All right, so again, say what you will about that, but that's not just a casual mistake or something or an error of omission. That's clearly deliberate. Last thing I want to mention here is with all this stuff, you might say, okay, but still, Bob, you know, there's no real smoking gun. Yes, there absolutely is a smoking gun. All right, and this was not covered in this IG report, but in a previous one. And, you know, people just kind of, no, that doesn't count. But, I mean, <laughs> we do have a smoking gun that the FBI was, was working to get Trump off, namely Peter Strzok, okay? I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly there. It's S-T-R-Z-O-K. So he was chief of the counter-espionage section, and he led the FBI's investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a personal email server, and he also led the FBI's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 U.S. elections. Okay, so he's the FBI's chief point guy on this whole thing. Is Russia, uh, you know, interfering with the U.S. elections or if they penetrated the Trump campaign? So this isn't some low-level kid getting coffee and making copies. This is a high-level person in charge of this investigation until he got fired. And what, what's the deal with him? Well, he was having an affair with Lisa Page, who's an FBI attorney, or was. All right, so Zrock is having an affair with her, and they're texting on FBI phones, by the way. So that's partly, you know, I don't know if that has to do with the legality and why the government and its investigation was able to get these text messages. But the smoking gun was that, so here, I'm, I'm just reading from the Wikipedia article on Peter Zrock. Strzok called Trump an idiot in August 2015 and texted to her, God, Hillary should win 100 million to zero after there was a Republican debate in March of 2016. 
And let's see, da, 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 and the smoking gun one, I'm just trying to find it here. Okay. So in early August of 2016, right? So this is right when this FBI investigation into Carter Page is, is opening up and Strzok is, you know, one of the key people on that case. So Lisa Page texts her lover, Strzok, and says, referring to Donald Trump, he's not ever going to become president, right? Right? And then, you know, the second right has a question mark and an exclamation point. And then he responded to her, no, no, he won't. We'll stop it. Okay? So there you go. The person running the investigation into whether Donald Trump's campaign was colluding with the Russians on the, you know, from the perspective of the FBI is texting his lover at the time. And she's saying Trump's not going to become the president, right? And he says, no, he won't because we'll stop it. So when people are like, well, you know, you don't know, it's right there. I, I don't know what else you could possibly need. I mean, talk about smoking gun. He, he's admitting that's what they're doing. Now, you know, you could say, well, what he meant was we'll stop it because we've seen all of the Russian interference and collusion and, you know, we're going we're gonna to nail this guy because he's a criminal. Okay, but it's like, you know, what, what else do you need? You, you, we've documented FBI officials clearly doing wrong things to mislead their superiors in order to get this outcome. And the person in charge of the investigation saying we're not going to let Trump win, we're going to stop it. I mean, I, I don't know what else you would need to say that the FBI was not just making a bunch of random errors that happened to be against Donald Trump, but that this was a deliberate effort to stop him getting elected or unseat him or what have you. Okay, well, that's all the time I'm going to devote to this topic. And I think you can see why I'm calling it the gaslighting of America, because when you see some of the stuff that was uncovered in this IG report and some of the stuff we already knew, how anybody could possibly walk away thinking, oh, yeah, the FBI is basically above board. And, yeah, they made a few screw-ups there. They should maybe uh, revise their manual and their training. But basically, it doesn't look like they were out to get Trump. They were just trying to defend America from Russia. No, that, that's crazy. Of course they were out to get Trump. Now, you could argue, good, they should have because Trump's so bad, but let's stop playing mind games here and gaslighting everybody. All right, everybody, thanks for your attention, and I'll see you next time. You've just experienced another episode of The Bob Murphy Show, the podcast promoting free markets, free minds, and grateful souls. For more information and to subscribe to this podcast, visit bobmurphyshow.com.